This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Today for our study time, we are going to go back and look at the Isaiah passage. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. It starts out, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So he starts out with saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So, who is the shoot? Come on, what's the answer to every question in church? Jesus. Jesus, okay. Now, what is the stump? Two references to Jesus are here, a shoot and a branch. It's interesting that the stump is the base, so this shoot is from the foundation. That's what Isaiah was getting at here. It's it's a reference to the foundation of everything. And and now, who's the foundation for everything? Jesus. There's also here a reference to Jesse. Who's Jesse? Anybody remember who that is? David's father. David's father. Dave Guzik writes about this passage. Indeed, Jesus did come from the stump of Jesse. The royal authority of the house of David was dormant for 600 years when Jesus came as King and Messiah. When Jesus came forth, it was like a new green branch coming from an apparently dead stump. Sometimes the stump is actually dead, but sometimes it's not, as in this case. The Lord wanted Judah to know that even though the Assyrians and others would come and bring judgment, God would still use them and bring forth life from them. Even if they looked like a long dead stump, God could bring forth life, glorious restoration, under the Messiah was indeed promised. Now, we move on to verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, stumps can be dead, but this one brings life. Two things here. The Holy Spirit will do through Jesus a number of things. And the passage tells us that. He's going to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, about this passage, the famous Bible commentator Alec Motcher says, The main impression gained from the Old Testament is that the spirit of the Lord endows chosen people for special tasks. But there are also individuals who enjoyed a permanent indwelling of the Spirit. One of those was Moses, second Joshua, then David, and possibly Elijah and Elisha, and maybe Isaiah too. Now in Isaiah, the Messiah is the Spirit-endowed one. The sevenfold elaboration of the Spirit and His work here begins with His divine person as the Spirit of the Lord and continues with three pairs of characteristics. First, He's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Next, He is 
the spirit of counsel and might. And the third pair is of knowledge in the fear of the Lord. This was important for the Messiah to be able to bring all of those things because no one up until that time had been able to do that. Yes, Moses brought the law, but the law generally only made people feel more guilty. So it was necessary here for the Messiah to be able to fulfill all of those requirements in the law. Okay, now verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So we say, well, wait a minute. You got to see and you got to hear things. But in this case, what they're talking about is from a foundation on the inside of God himself will the judgment be brought. He's not going to base his opinions on what he hears people say because sometimes what we hear people say is, not the most reliable thing, right? And sometimes what we see, we're not really seeing. There's numerous illustrations. One of the most vivid of those comes from the time when the Allies parachuted into Normandy. There was this squad of soldiers walking along this brick wall. And all of a sudden, there's a column of Germans walking the other direction along this wall, but they look up because there's a plane flying overhead, and they look back down, and they don't see the other guys. Both squads reported later, we got out of there okay, because they didn't see accurately what their eyes were seeing. So, he's going to judge with that sense of righteousness that is naturally who he is, and a part of who he is. Those six gifts of the Spirit, this branch of Jesse, will be able to establish a kingdom that has, as we always say in the Pledge of Allegiance, right, with liberty and justice for all. Well, in our system, good as it is, it's not perfect, is it? The only way we can have a kingdom or a government on earth that allows and has liberty and justice for all is when Jesus is in charge. Amen? Because he won't be swayed by external appearances, whether the filthy rags of the poor or the rich with robes of wealth. He will not judge by what he sees or hears, rather with utter righteousness. He will do two things. The two things all citizens want from their leaders. Tender care for the least and stern punishment for the worst, take care of the victims and then take care of the predators too. So when Jesus reigns on earth, he will have perfect justice. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is verse four. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. What do you mean by that? I mean, Strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. We all remember the book of Revelation. When Jesus returns, he's going to have a sword coming from his mouth. Now, what it means is from that passage that Paul says, the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. So he's going to do the judging with his mouth, with his breath, and judge righteously. And it's going to be his word that will accomplish the task. 
He's going to do it with his words. Move on to verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fatted, fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. We've all probably seen the pictures or the paintings of the lion and the lamb together, and the goat and the leopard, and what's going to happen here, and what this means is, all of those animals that are predatory, that eat the other animals, that's not going to happen anymore. There's going to be harmony between two groups of people who used to be at enmity with one another. There is going to be real unity there. Now, this passage is essentially really famous, isn't it? The lion will lay down with the lamb, and the, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And I've never been particularly wild about the passage about the child playing with his hand on a cobra. Because, well, that means that when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, all those poisonous snakes aren't going to be poisonous anymore. Either that or they're just not going to bite anybody anymore. And that would be cool. Now, and I'm still not too wild about the weaned child putting his hand on an adder's den. Anybody know what an adder is? It's a snake, a poisonous one, by the way, and it's one of the few poisonous snakes left on the British Islands. It's still there. And so what we're getting here is this picture of perfect peace, a land and a world that is, there's no violence, there's no hatred, there's no anger, there's love and forgiveness everywhere. That might freak us out because we're not used to living in a place like that, are we? But that's the way it's going to be. Now, Stan Mast says that when he comes, he will bring a peace that is unimaginable. To help us imagine it, Isaiah draws a word picture that has fascinated and inspired generations. Again, we talk about that picture, the picture of the peaceable kingdom is what it's called. Instead of nations at peace, as in Isaiah 2, we see nature at peace also. No longer will nature be red in tooth and claw. It will be creation restored to shalom. The survival of the fittest will be replaced by predator and prey eating and sleeping together. Now, we all believe that that word shalom just means peace or it's a greeting in Israel. However, that word has more meaning than that. It means wholeness and togetherness and it means Everything's got, everyone's got their act together, basically. It means everything is together and nobody is confused or falling apart. And when you say shalom to somebody, that is sort of like a blessing. You're desirous of them being able to live in that state of wholeness and also holiness, too. So, now we move down to verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's knowledge will be everywhere. And that would be the ultimate revival. So many times I've quoted those guys who were talking about revival, saying it's like days of heaven on earth. Well, it will be like that. It will really be like that. We're going to see this most massive turnaround in human behavior we could ever imagine and witness and wish. And so, 
it's going to be awesome. Now, we're going to move on to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Spurgeon said about verse 10, The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the root of Jesse, the shoot of the stock of Jesse, as ver chapter 11, verse 1 might be rendered, is the center of all Israel. And he is also the rallying point of the Gentiles, for he has made both Jew and Gentile to be one. And now around the banner of his glorious name, all the believing hosts gather with glad accord. He is the king of the Jews, but he is also our king. We must always look to Christ as the great standard bearer of all the host of God and pitch our tents as near his banner as we can and constantly follow where his banner leads the way. We're talking about, again, a peace that's unimaginable. We've talked how, about how all of the world's efforts to bring peace have not succeeded. But when Jesus comes and when Jesus returns, there will be no doubt he will succeed and bring about that world of peace that we've all desired but have not been able to bring about. So, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living. Mm -hmm.